Jesus comes because there is something that he has that he wants us to experience. I love what we see in Ecclesiastes. Uh, from the teacher, from the preacher, from the writer, from the, uh, possibly King Solomon, but definitely the, the author of this book. He says, even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat. It's good for them to drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It's a good thing to receive wealth from God and a good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot. This is indeed a gift from God. And then this last sentence, isn't it wonderful? God keeps such people so busy enjoying life. They take no time to brood over the past. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life. Today in Advent, we're talking about joy. And joy is squishy. First off, do you know how to spell squishy? Like, when I, when I said that sentence in my notes as I was thinking through this, I was like, man, squishy, how do you spell that? It's S-Q-U-I-S-H-Y. For those of you who are actually trying to do it, you got that right. Um, it's, but it is, it's interesting. So we, we talked about hope in the first week, and, and there's one way you can look at hope, and then there's like the biblical and true way you can look at hope. There's love, there's a lot of ways you can look at love, which was last week, and then like joy, right? I mean... Often we can get in a conversation about joy and happiness and how they're the same and how they're different. Is joy a feeling? Is joy a choice? Right? I'm, I'm sure you've heard, um, you know, that there's, there, there's a thief of joy, right? Comparison. Comparison is a thief of joy. As we talk about joy this morning, as we look into God's word and look into his heart as to what it is that he has for us to experience, um, I would put forth to you a couple of ideas like this, that joy is a sense of deep satisfaction. Just like what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, right? There's, there's, a, there's a deep satisfaction in a good meal. There's a deep satisfaction in a moment with friends. There's a deep satisfaction in a job well done that you know you just did good and you enjoyed doing it. Joy is a deep satisfaction. There's also an element of just great meaning. It's meaningful. Joy brings meaning to situations. It's delightful and it's pure. There's something pure about joy. Um, I want to put this in front of you this morning. Joy is a kingdom reality that is given to us by God, waiting for us to behold. It's a gift. Uh, there is a sense in us. There is a feeling to joy, certainly. But beyond the feeling, I hope we can see with, with greater clarity this morning that joy, that thing that Jesus has for us and longs to share with us, it is a kingdom reality that is simply given to us by God, waiting for us to behold. I want us to look this morning at joy, a seat of strength. Um, but as you do that, Let's open up in a word of prayer and invite God's heart and voice into our space. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Again, uh, I know that gratitude is a consistent theme in this space. And so, Lord, we just, we sit ourselves appreciative in your presence. And we ask that you would speak. Uh, I ask, Lord, that you would encourage us, remind us, and reveal to us that which you have and long to share. We are listening this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 2 and Luke 2 as far as looking at the, um, you know, the stories that we find of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as we start off in Matthew chapter 2 first, this is going to be the story of the, the wise men that came to visit the young Jesus. So many of you know the story. You get into Matthew chapter 1, and there's the genealogy of Jesus, all the history and story behind him. Matthew chapter 2 begins to tell the story of Joseph and how an angel visited him. And then it says that there are some men from the east who saw his star and began to make their way to Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, they meet up with the king, and they say, hey, we've seen the star, and we're looking for the king of the Jews. That begins to get Herod a little bit nervous, and so he asks for more, and they find out that, you know, they're there to find him, and so Herod says, well, hey, when you do find him, let me know so that I can worship him too. They end up traveling on. They go into Bethlehem, and then it says right here, after their interview with Herod, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and of frankincense and myrrh. Do you know how many wise men there were? Do you feel like you're getting set up? Because you are. <laughs> three, right? We actually don't know. The reason why three is accepted is because there were three gifts. Um, so we don't really know. Um, but they were filled with joy. As, as we look at this, again, kingdom reality, something that God is giving us that is, is ours to behold as they make their way into the presence of Jesus, to be there, not just to know that it's a thing, to, but to experience the things, as they get close, they are filled with joy. We can see even here there's a sense of fulfillment, that thing that they longed for, that they were curious about, that they were aware of. Now they're in the midst of it. There's fulfillment. There's also arrival. Man, we are here. And not only are they here, there's, there's enthusiasm and there's joy, but there's an opportunity to step in in reverence, to walk quietly into the space, the house of a couple and a small child, uh, to worship the little boy and to open up gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, in Luke chapter 2, we have the story of the shepherds out in the middle of the field in the dark of night. And an angel comes to them with like, you know, their brights on and scares the bejeez out of them, right? And um, he says, hey, do not be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be for what? All people. Come on. All people. Um, all people. Say it one more time with me. One, two, three. All people. There's not a person on the planet that this is not for. There's not a person on the planet that this is not for. And so these shepherds get like a glimpse of the enthusiasm of heaven, the joy of heaven at this moment. In the city of David, there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They kind of just lay out this whole beautiful, like, picture, this uh, glimpse of joy. And the shepherds are like, 
um, we got to see this. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, men, let's go. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The first thing that I hope that we can really begin to wrap our hearts around this morning is that we can position ourselves in the midst of joy. We can position ourselves in the midst of joy. It's not just a feeling. It's not just circumstantial. Again, it is a gift from God waiting for us to behold. It's not just getting there. When we look at these two instances of both the wise men and the shepherd, it's not just the getting there that they were after. It was the being there that they were after. Um, I want to share with you this quote from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was the, the one who paraphrased the Bible. We called it the message of the marriage, message paraphrase. So this is about Ecclesiastes and about joy. He says that the author believes ardently in joy. The guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, big fan of joy. He knows that our deepest likings and impulses, those things that we would call pleasures, they are raw material furnished by God to bring us into the presence of God. He also knows that they can be perverted and deflected into a way of life that is sheer boredom and cynicism. The intent of joy is to lead us into wholeness, but the ways that we engage in it frequently lead to unhappiness. And so what Eugene Peterson here is talking about is the warning of making joy the end and not the moment. It's a thing that we're after as opposed to a thing that we rest in. So think, for example, if you have like a job opportunity. Having a job opportunity means that you get to like go in for an interview. And you might get the job and you might not. But there's an anxiety of all of your emphasis and all of your perspective is pushed to the outcome of the interview or the outcome of the opportunity you're going to miss a significant measure of joy. Because there's a moment of connection and interaction that happens there in the moment of the interview. Where you're going to be interacting with people on a very specific content and context of conversation. And it's just like if you get nervous about getting the job or not, as opposed to really vested, not just getting there, but being there in the conversation, it's a completely different situation. Take the Super Bowl, for example. Or we're, you know, we're right in the throes of the college playoffs. Right? That I know we didn't make this year, but this year, right? Um, it's not just—it's not just winning the game. Yes, winning is absolutely important. That's the reason why you're there. It's the reason why you play. It's the reason why you keep score. But if it hinges, if joy hinges on winning or losing, then there's a lot of joy in the midst of playing that we miss, or even work. It's like Matthew McConaughey, uh, been tapped on more than once to do like you know a commencement ceremony at graduation. And one that I remember and just love, he begins to talk about happiness. He talks about his work as an actor. And he says, man, when, like, when all of the work was looking to like, achieve a certain end, like I want to be a really good actor and I want to be known, I want to be a celebrity, I want to have awards and I want to have acclaim and I want to have accomplishment. He said it was just a grind and it was awful and it was hard. It was this idea that he's saying, or like the way we go about it can bring boredom and cynicism. 
It can, it can lead to unhappiness. But the intent of joy is to leading us into wholeness. And then Matthew McConaughey goes on to say, he's like, when I showed up on the set and just gave myself to the work, where the work itself was the reward itself, he said, my life blossomed into joy. Not only that, then work was fun. Work was full. There was that, what we talked about earlier, there's fulfillment, there's meaning, there's delight, there's purity. And lo and behold, wouldn't you guess, he becomes to be one of them. That's, that's a season where he has greater success as an actor than you would ever think. More blockbusters, more accolades, more awards, because the work was reward in of itself. The gift of joy is in the moment, not in the outcome. That's why we do read in Psalm 16 where David says, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Joy is a spiritual residence, regardless of our physical residence. It's this understanding of the fullness of each moment and what God has for us there. It's a gift from God. So joy is available to us in any circumstance. And different circumstances are going to bring about different things. We can have difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances can bring about frustration. And they can bring about stress. Uh, they can bring about, you know, a, a lack of clarity. Or things can be super, uh, I don't know, scary. Right? Whatever the difficult circumstance might be. If all of our focus is on what's happening in the midst of the different select, like what it's, what the outcome is, then we're going to be on this roller coaster of super lows because of the frustration and the stress, and, and, and then like the, if we find ourselves in a great situation and it swings the other way, now we're swinging way up high, and the exhilaration, and the, but like that's not going to last forever, and so we see, you know, these great dips if we're ever in a situation of like circumstantial joy. Those two words don't even go together. Right? There's not circumstantial joy. So when you think about that, we can either be on the edge of that curve, right, and ride those turbulent highs and lows, or we can find ourselves steady and in the middle. Fully present in the moment, regardless of the moment, seeking the presence of the Lord. And so in those moments, where a high happens, and there's this arc, almost like this mountain that's, that's, that's drawn, we can see all of the blessing that God is stacking on top of us in that moment without being troubled with pride, without being troubled with arrogance, without being, because we're, our focus is on Him and how full the life may be in that moment. But then as things dip the other direction, and life gets hard and painful and just difficult. At that moment, we see the depth of the Lord. How much he sustains us. How much he is a foundation. How deep, potentially, our roots go into him. And despite this hurt, despite all these things, we have the fullness of the Lord with us. So, we can sit on the edge we can sit in our frustrations. We can sit in our stress. Let those things yank us around. We, we, we can sit in our accomplishments and hope that the, the high 
rides for long enough. We, 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 we can sit in any of those things, or we can sit in the presence of the Lord. We can sit in the joy of the Lord. And so, man, as I was thinking about all this this week, I had one question. Like, where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? Because I can tell you, man, like, there have been some moments in the last couple of years that have been crazy hard. And, and when that happens, we, we find ourselves, again, wrestling with frustration, wrestling with anxiety, wrestling with fear. And it's not easy to sit in joy. But it's still the best seat in the house. Right? And if things are really good, like it's your birthday and you got the gift that you wanted. Christmas is coming up. And I had this thing on my wish list and I got it. Like, that's wonderful. It's delightful. But it's just this Christmas. And it might even make a memory forever. Remember that Christmas that I got X? We talked about the la laser tag thing. Like, but where are we going to sit? Where am I going to sit? I want to sit in the presence of the Lord. Like, check out this from Paul in 2 Corinthians. So he's going on and on about just, just how difficult it is in this particular season of ministry and all that they've endured as they go to proclaim the gospel. He says, we are ignored even though we are well known. He says, we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. And we're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Because again, go back to Ecclesiastes and how like all of the world is meaningless, and you can store up these huge barns of riches and legacy. But then I love how he says, man, I'm going to die, and it's going to be entrusted into the hands of somebody else. And I have no idea if they're going to be able to like maintain it or take care of it. And he's like, that's meaningless. It's like a chasing of the wind. We own nothing, right? There's another spot in Ecclesiastes that says that we go out of this world just as naked and poor as we come into it. But here Paul says, and yet we have everything spoken, I promise you, from the best seat in the house, from the seat of joy, from the presence of the Lord, regardless of circumstance, and how it helps us. Nehemiah will say in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus wants us to know his joy. Just like we said at the beginning, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There is something that Jesus has that he longs to share with us. And he even said that um, in John 15 when he's visiting with his disciples right before uh, his week of being uh, moments on the cross um, and all that took place at the end of his life here on earth. But in that, in that night before, he tells the disciples, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Just a few verses earlier, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love how that exact same theme we can also find in Ecclesiastes. So I decided that there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Isn't it beautiful to see the consistency of the message in books that were written literally thousands of years apart? John 15, 4. This is how it happens. This is what it looks like to sit in the seat of joy. 
Jesus says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So I'm going to encourage you this week that we sit in his love. That we find our place. Oh man, hear me. It's your place. Let's find our place in the presence of God. Let's find our seat in the presence of God. And as we do, let's realize the strength, how stable and strong it is, regardless of storm or steady waters. That there's a richness and a beauty, a fulfillment and a completeness and a wholeness to being in his presence. And there's more than we could ever actually get our heart or our hands on. Whether we're without or whether we have plenty, like in his presence, we have everything. <coughs>